far. If you will join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we bow before you again. and Father, we, we are grateful to be called your church, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the family of God, your, your people. Father, we, we praise you for that. It's not a title that we are worthy of. It's a title that you have graced us with. Father, and we, we praise you. So, Father, as we think about who we are as the church in light of who you are as the God of the church, Father, we want to make sure that we think rightly about what it means to belong to the church. And, and Father, we, we have a desire, Lord, that you have placed in us to represent Jesus well. To our world, and so, Father, we want to do that to the best of of our abilities, as Your Spirit works in us. And so, Father, we need to grow in that. Father, none of us are perfect, uh, but Father, You have not saved us to leave us where we are at, but You have saved us to change us, not just once, but each and every day, a continual, daily transformation, so that we look more and more like Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that sin is put away and holiness is lived out in our lives. And Father, you have, you have given us the church to aid in that transformation process. And so, Father, as we come to this time in our service, as we open up your word, Father, would you teach us? Father, would you open up our hearts and minds to receive your truth with humility? And Father, uh, convict us if we need to be convicted of any sin, any neglect on our part when it comes to being obedient to you. Father, encourage us from your word. Challenge us. Father, we want you to be glorified in the way that your word is both preached and received here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bible, I hope that you do. I invite you to open up to uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. As you do, as you turn there, Hebrews chapter 10, um, I want you to imagine with me for a moment. I want you to imagine two different teams, two different teams. Uh, One team is made up of members, uh, team members, teammates who don't want to be around their coach. They don't really like him that much. They don't really want to be around him. They don't want to be in the same room with him. Uh, That's their view of the coach. Not only that, but they also doubt the game plan as soon as any type of adversity arises. They begin to doubt, I'm not sure if this coach actually knows what he's doing. I'm not sure if this game plan is going to work. And so as soon as adversity uh, comes their way, they begin to doubt that plan. And not only that, but this team is made up of members who regularly skip out on practices are half-hearted in their level of participation when they do come to practice, and they never encourage their fellow teammates during practice. How many people want to be on this team? How many people want to be the coach of this team? I didn't think so. Let's think about another team. 
And this team is made up of members who love their coach. They love to be around their coach. They look up to their, up to their coach, and they're always looking to learn something from their coach. Not only that, but they are committed to this game plan, the game plan that the coach has laid out. And even when adversity strikes, even when it looks like uh, things aren't what they expected, it's not going the way they thought it would go, they stay committed to this game plan that the coach has laid out for them. And not only that, but the members of this team are present at all their practices. They participate there in the practices, and they're constantly offering encouragement to their fellow teammates. Who wants to be on that team? I do. Who wants to be the coach of that team? If I was going to be a coach, I would want to be the coach of that team right there. Now, let me ask you another question. Which team is going to succeed when game time comes? Most likely team number two, right? Most likely team number two. And a team committed to the coach, committed to the game plan, and committed to being present, participating, and encouraging one another. That's the team that's going to succeed. Now, I don't know about you, but I want the church to succeed in the mission that God has called the church to. And you say, what is that mission? Well, I would say that mission is that God would be glorified as the church seeks to make disciples of all nations. That God would receive glory as the church seeks to make disciples of all nations. But that will only happen in a local congregation if the members are committed. If the members are committed. We are in a series called Healthy Church Member, and we're asking this question, what does it look like for me as a member of a church to be a healthy church member? We want to be a healthy church. If we want to be a healthy church, then we must be made up of members who are healthy in their membership, in their walk with the Lord. We look at several different marks of a healthy church member, and the one that we want to look at today is a committed member. A healthy church member is a committed member. I would say of all, maybe maybe of all of them uh, that we have looked at and that we will look at in the next few weeks, this should probably be the most obvious one. This is the one that we should go, yeah, you think? Do you really have to preach on this? I mean, this, I mean, if you're going to be a if you're going to be a healthy church member, you probably need to be a commitment. That this one probably is the most obvious, and because of that, it's almost I think maybe the most difficult to to preach about. It, it, it's kind of hard to to talk about this because it does seem so obvious, and yet sometimes we miss the obvious, and God knows that we sometimes miss the obvious, and so He has. Thankfully and graciously given us some encouragement and maybe we'll use a little more forceful word, commandments concerning this very thing. This very thing that should be true in our lives as Christians. And so um, here's what here's what I, I want us to do. Also, look at this passage of Scripture here in uh, Hebrews chapter 10. And I was consider what does it mean to be a committed member. Let me go ahead and say, we're not going to say everything that we could say about being a committed member. 
we would, we would have to spend lots and lots of time, and really we'd have to go through almost the whole Bible to get everything there is to know about being a committed member. But what does this particular passage say about us as members of the church, believers in Christ who have joined together in fellowship in a local congregation of believers? The writer of Hebrews here, as is, is he is writing, he has spent um, many chapters, really from chapter 1 all the way up to this point, helping his readers understand the supremacy of Christ, that Christ is number one, that he is fully God, and specifically that he is supreme in his role as the great high priest. Jesus acts as a high priest, but he is the far better high priest. He is the great high priest. He is the one who has gone before the Father, our God, on our behalf and has offered a sacrifice so that we could have access to God. But the reason he's the greatest of any priest is because he has offered himself as a sacrifice, as the perfect sacrifice, as the writer of Hebrews says over and over, the once and for all sacrifice. This is important because our role as members in the church is motivated by and founded upon this truth, this gospel truth, that we have a new way opened up to us to God, access to God, because of what Jesus, our great high priest, has done on the cross. And then that should lead us to be committed in our walk with him, and specifically in our context for today, in the body of Christ. I want you to follow along in your copy of God's Word as we read. This is the Word of God, beginning in verse 19 in Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let me give you this statement, and then we'll uh, begin to walk through this passage. A healthy church member will be a committed member, which includes a commitment to God, a commitment to the truth of the gospel, and a commitment to fellow members. Let me say that one more time. A healthy church member will be a committed member, which includes a commitment to God, a commitment to the truth of the gospel, and a commitment to fellow members. And we'll see these three things here in this passage. Now, this passage is just slap full of beautiful gospel truths. In fact, he, in the first few verses, he's really summarizing all that he said in, in the previous chapters. And so he packs about nine and a half chapters into a couple of verses. And unfortunately, this morning, we're just not going to have time to unpack the first few verses. I, I want our focus to really begin there in verse 22. But before we get there, we're going to examine verses 19, 20, and 21 very quickly. Just notice that he says 
that we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. There's lots of symbolism here. We're thinking back to the tabernacle in the time of Israel and then the, the temple, the holy place. Well, just to put it simply this morning, that was where the presence of God was. And so he's saying we have access into the presence of God. And it's not a scared kind of access where I go in and I'm scared of what's going to happen to me because I'm in the presence of a holy God. Now, we should be scared when we enter into the presence of a holy God because he is an all-consuming fire, Scripture says, and he consumes sin. And we are sinners, and so we should be consumed in the presence of God. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has come, our high priest, and look at verse 20. But He is a new and living way. He's opened that for us through the curtain. That is through his flesh. What is that talking about? His flesh that was battered and torn, bloody on a cross. And so if we enter into the presence of God through Jesus and his sacrifice of himself on the cross, then instead of entering scared of the consequences of our sin, we enter with confidence because he has forgiven us of our sin, covered our sin, made atonement for our sin. A perfect once and for all sacrifice that God the Father has accepted. And so we get to enter through Christ into the presence of God. And he says, since we have a great priest over the house of God. So our confidence rests in the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. If you're here today and you are are in your sin and lost in your sin, and you have never received the gift, a free gift of salvation that comes from God through His Son, Jesus Christ, then I just want to share with you that you can enter into the presence of God with confidence forever and ever because of what Jesus has done for you if you'll place your faith and trust in Him, receiving salvation. Everything starts with that. There's, there's, no, there's no point in talking about being a committed church member if you've never entered into the presence of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. If you've never received salvation. And so if that's you today, I encourage you, I plead with you to trust in Christ. He is the only way that we can have a confident access to the Father. Otherwise, one day when we stand in the presence of God, apart from Christ, those who haven't trusted Christ will be punished for their sin for all of eternity. But that doesn't have to be you because of what Jesus did on the cross. But now, in light of that, he's saying in light of this beautiful message of what Jesus has done for us, let us, let us, let us. We see three commands in verses 20 through 20 through. That's not that's not a number, is it? 22 through verse 25. Three commands, and that's the commands that we want to look at. Now, before before we look at these these commands, I want to I want to preface this with a warning. Okay, and this is mostly a warning to most of you because. 
most of you, I would say, are committed. That's why you're here today. And so this is kind of a hard message and so to, to preach because I would say a lot of us here, a lot of you are doing these things that we're going to be talking about. And that's awesome. But the danger is that you would then think, oh, we're going to talk about being a committed member. I'm already a committed member, so I don't, need to, I don't need to listen. I don't need to pay attention. Well, that, that's, a dangerous, that's a dangerous place to be. Um, I'm going to challenge you that even if you are a committed church member, and I would say many of you are, I want you to consider as we look at these three commands, number one, how God may want to change your motivation for being committed. Perhaps you're committed, but it's for the wrong motivation. Also, I want you to think how God may want to grow you in your level of commitment. Perhaps you are committed, but you could be more committed. You know, we all could. None of us are perfect in any area of our lives. And so I would say none of us are perfect in our commitment to the body of Christ. And so there's always room for growth. And third, instead of saying, I'm already committed, I don't need to know this, consider that maybe God will want you to help someone else become more committed. And you're paying attention to this passage. You could actually use this passage to go to someone in love and say, hey, you should be more committed in in your involvement in the church. And it's not just me saying that. It's God saying that. Let me show you from God's word, okay? So let me, I just wanted to say that up front. Three things. First two, we're going to say pretty quickly, and then we'll spend a little bit more time on number three. Our confidence in Jesus as our great high priest, that's the summary of verse 19 through 21, should lead us to be committed to, number one, a simple God. Okay? Our confidence in Jesus as our great high priest should lead us to be committed, first and foremost, to God. And we want to start here. We're going to end. I'm going to go ahead and play my cards, lay them out on the table. We're going to end with commitment to each other, to the church. Okay? We'll talk about that in just a minute. That's going to be number three. But um, we've got to start with the commitment to God. Because our commitment, if it's not primarily to God and it's to the church, then we actually make the church our God and we miss out worshiping God. The whole reason for the church is that we would bring glory and honor to God. So notice the first let us command. Verse 22. In light of what Jesus has done for us and opening a way to the Father, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed, washed with pure water. Again, this is one of those verses that we could, we could spend up an hour just talking about this one verse. But notice the command is to draw near. To draw near to what? Draw near to who? This command to draw near, or this thought of drawing near, is actually repeated um, several times throughout the book of Hebrews. And I went back and looked at those, those times when the writer is talking about drawing near. What is he talking about? Well, there's consensus in all these times. He's talking about drawing near to God. We can draw near to God because of what Jesus has done. So let us draw near to God. Let us worship Him. If you, want a, if you want a statement, you could say, be committed to draw near to God in worship. That's something that we should be committed to as believers. To draw near to God in worship. Yes, when we gather on a Sunday morning, we should seek to draw near to God in worship. That should be a motivation for coming and gathering. But also throughout the rest of the week, in every area of our lives, constantly seeking to draw near to God, to walk close to Him. I don't know about you, but, but, but I, I have a desire to, to grow in my walk with the Lord. 
Now, if I'm honest, sometimes I'm not as committed to that as I should be. But sometimes I get distracted and I'm committed to other things. I draw near to other things more than drawing near to God. But we are commanded as believers, draw near to God. And why wouldn't we? We have full and complete access to the Father. The, the best place to be in, in, in the entire universe is in the presence of God. And our sin has separated us from Him. But because of what Jesus has done, now we get to dwell in His presence. Did you seek to draw near to God this past week? Through His Word. Through prayer. Through fellowship with fellow believers. We are to draw near to God. We are to love Him. We're to worship Him. Listen, if we're going to, as a church, be successful in the mission that God has called us to, which is to bring God glory by seeking to make disciples of all nations, then we have to love God and be committed to Him. If we're not, it's kind of like the team that says, hey, we're going to go out and we're going to win this game. We hate our coach. We don't really want to be around Him. We're not going to listen to anything He says. And any chance we get to get away from Him, we're going to get away from Him. That team is not going to succeed. Now, God is much more than our coach. That illustration kind of breaks down very quickly. But you you see the connection there. For us to succeed as a church, we have to daily be seeking to draw near to God in worship. Let us draw near and continually draw near over and over and over. Number two. Our confidence in Jesus as our great high priest should lead us to be committed to the gospel. The gospel. Committed to God and committed to the gospel. When we think about this gospel, we could say, again, illustration is so far below the glory of what we're talking about. But it is God's plan. It is his game plan, if you will, for bringing people to salvation, for rescuing sinners for gathering around his throne one day people from every nation, language, and tribe to worship him. To bring glory and honor to him. This beautiful gospel message that Jesus has come and he has paid the price for sin. That he is the only way. That he is the only truth. And that he is the only life. And that no one comes to the Father except by him. But everyone who comes by him gets to the Father. It's that beautiful gospel message. And we have to stay committed to that. Notice verse 23. Let us. Here's our second let us. First one was let us draw near. Second was let, is let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. If you want a little bit longer sentence than just the word gospel, you could say we should be committed to hold fast to the gospel in faith. We should be committed to hold fast to the gospel in faith. Why would, why would this command be given to people who have already believed this gospel? Well, because we live in a world that wants to attack this gospel. We live in a world that's full of un, unexpected things around each corner that can catch us off guard and make us waver in our faith and make us wonder, does God really know what he's doing? Does God, is this really the best way? 
Is, is this really what I need to be committed to? Does God really understand this world? Because where I'm at right now, in whatever difficulty this is, it doesn't seem like God quite knows what He's doing. But He does. And that's where the faith part comes in. Full assurance of faith. In that, let us hold fast the confession. What is the confession? It is this gospel that we've talked about already over and over this morning. It's this confidence that we have hope that God is faithful. That He will save all who come to Him through faith in Jesus Christ. We have confidence in that. And even when it seems, even when it seems like God has removed Himself from us, when it looks like He's not involved in my life and He's letting all of these things come in, He's letting all, all of this, the, these attacks come in, all these trials enter into my life, I hold fast in my confidence that He who promised is faithful. When other people are saying there's other ways to God, there's other ways to get to Him, Say, no, no, that's not the game plan. That's not what God has said. It's only through Christ. Jesus is the only one who has made a way to the Father. So so we stand firm. We stay committed to the game plan, to the gospel message. We stay committed to God. We stay committed to the gospel. But then see what happens next. It's so interesting how he moves from these things that often we think are kind of I don't want to say theoretical, but they're kind of out there like I'm committed to God, I'm committed to the gospel. And then he doesn't even skip a beat and he jumps right in to our commitment to one another. Not only should we be committed to God and to the gospel, but because of what Jesus has done for us as our high priest, we should be committed to the gathering. We should be committed to the gathering. And we see this in verses 24 and 25. Commitment to the gathering. This third let us command. Verse 24. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. There's where that word gathering comes from. As is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Note. Don't lose sight of the big picture. He says, Jesus has made a way for you to live in the presence of God instead of dying in the presence of God. He has he given us full access to God. Therefore, draw near to God because of what Jesus has done. Therefore, stand firm on the truth of the gospel because of what Jesus has done. And therefore, be committed to the gathering, the church, to one another because of what Jesus has done on the cross. You don't have one command without the other. So I'm going to draw near to God, but I'm not going to draw near to His church. No. There's three commands, and there's equal weight given to them. We draw near to God, we stand firm on the gospel, and we are committed to one another in the church. If we take seriously what Jesus has done on the cross then we will be committed to one another in the local church. There's no ifs, no ands, no buts. Notice that he says, let us consider how to stir one another up. He says, let us think carefully about how we might provoke one another. Normally that's a bad word. 
You could translate that provoke. Normally that's a bad word, like provoke you to anger. My, I, I used to use this as an excuse. Like I, my, mom, my mom taught me this verse, this Bible verse when I was a kid, and um, it was about, I can't remember exactly, but it was about don't provoke other people to anger, right? And um, you don't, you don't, don't instigate it, you know? And so my, I, would, I would do something wrong to my sisters and, um, you know, be, get mad at them and hit them. Or, um, I didn't ever do that. I did. I did. Um, and, and, or, or take something from them or just be ugly to them. Normally it was with my words. I would just say something mean to them, get mad at them. And then mom would come and you should ask, well, well, they provoked me to it. They provoked me to it. They, they, they're not doing what the Bible says, and they provoked me to, to, to anger. So that, that's bad. That's not a good application of that. So, but that's what, this word, that's what this word literally is, provoked. So normally it's a, a negative connotation, like you're being provoked to, to act in a bad way. But here it says that we are to consider, to think carefully. The command is to think carefully how we might could and how we should provoke one another not to anger, not to wrath, but to love and good deeds. Here's my word for love and good deeds. A life of holiness. We are called as Christians to live holy lives. We're not called to live how we once lived. We're not called to live in our sin that God saved us from. We're called to live holy lives. We enter into the holy place where God is holy and he cleanses us not to leave us how we were but to make us holy like him now what does a holy life look like it's a life full of love and good deeds so we're called to that as individuals but we're not called to do that by ourselves we're called to do that together and we need one another to provoke us to live the way that God has called us to live. You, you, want a, you want a surefire way to stray off the course of a Christian life as an individual follower of Christ? Divorce yourself from God's people. Remove yourself from the people who God has put in your life to provoke you, to stir you up, to live for Him. And you know what you'll find yourself doing? Not living for Him. Not living for Him. He has given us a great gift. He knows that our hearts are prone to wonder. He knows that they are. He knows that, that we get distracted. We start looking at the things in life around us. And, and the things around us look oftentimes better than God. And so we get distracted and we start living like the world. And we need somebody to come alongside us and say, Hey, you're supposed to be living a life that's full of love and good deeds for God. You're supposed to be living a holy life. We need that. We need teammates to come around us and encourage us. Now, how does that encouraging take place? As we gather. Notice, notice these two phrases. We consider, the command is to consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. How to provoke holiness in our lives. How to hold one another accountable. But the context is in a gathering. He says in verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the way that God has called us to provoke one another to live a life of holiness is by being committed, not neglecting, 
to gather together. I mean, literally to come together, like face to face, person to person, where you can see me and I can see you. And we're together in the same place for the same cause, worshiping the same God. And when we get together, what do we do? We encourage one another. We don't just talk about the game from yesterday. We don't just talk about work. We don't just talk about our hobby. Those may enter into the conversation as we're asking, how can I share the gospel with my coworker? But we don't just talk about these things with no other thought for who God is. As we gather together, we encourage one another by remembering the gospel, which then leads us to worship God. Notice how they're all three connected. We gather together to encourage one another to live a life of holiness, which means we've got to remind one another of the gospel and what Jesus did for us. Hey, we're not supposed to be living in sin because Jesus died to rescue us from our sin. That's the game plan. And we're to be representing him well in this world so that other people can believe and have eternal life. And all of this, all of this, is a way that we draw near to God. It's all for His glory. It's not for us. We're commanded to not neglect to meet together. Here's what that means. Anyone who is neglecting the gathering called the church is living in disobedience to God. That's just the truth of God's word. That's the truth of it. And just remember that God's commands are for our good. They're for His glory, but they're for our good. He knows what is best in our lives. And so if He commands us to do something or not to do something, no matter what the world says, that is for our good. And so if he has commanded us to gather together in the church with the church, then we must cast aside any thought that that is burdensome, that God is sucking the fun out of our lives, that he is laying on us some kind of requirement that keeps us from other things that are better and trust that he is a God who always acts for our good. You don't think he does? Look at the cross. He sent his son to die for us. That's all I need to know to know and trust that God is always looking out for my good. And so the command to consider how to stir one another up by gathering together and encouraging one another is something that is good for me and for you. No matter what other things could distract me from being obedient to that command. There's so much more that I would love to say about this. Let me, let me say this. 
we serve a God who is full of mercy and grace. And so whenever we may find in our lives an area exposed by God's Word through His Spirit where we're not lining up with what God commands of us, it hurts, it should, But because we serve a God of mercy and grace who loves to change us, who loves to help us become more like Him, we don't run away from God saying, well, I'm not doing what I should be doing and therefore God must hate me. We say, I haven't been doing what I should be doing. I haven't been as committed as I should be. Thank you, God, that you're a God who still loves me. And doesn't want to leave me here. But you want to come alongside me. Forgive me of the past. And help me move forward. And do a better job. In obeying you. For your own glory. Perhaps you're here today. And you are committed but you're committed for the wrong reasons. Maybe you're committed just so people can see you and recognize you and reward you for your commitment. And it's led to arrogance in your life. Maybe you're here and you're committed to the church, but it's only because you're looking be served. You're only in it for yourself. You're just looking for what can I get out of it? What can I get out of it? What can I get out of it? Perhaps, perhaps you're here and you're committed to the church because you think you can be saved by it. Your commitment to the church never saves you. Remember where we started. Our commitment is a response to the free gift of salvation that Jesus provides through His death on the cross. If you're a member of this church or another church and you're committed because you think that one day when you stand before God, you're going to say, God, you can let me into heaven because look how, look, how, look how long I went to church. Look how involved I was. Look at I had perfect attendance and all this stuff. And you're banking on that to get you into heaven. You need to repent of your sin, of thinking that you could earn your way to God. And you need to cast yourself upon the blood of Jesus Christ and let Him rescue you from your sin. If you're committed for one of those other reasons, to be seen or to be served, you need to repent of your sin and draw near to a God who is ready with open arms to forgive you and help you change your motivation for being committed. Maybe you're just not committed. Maybe you're here and you're you're, you're, you're a member, you're just not committed. Forget about the past. Start today. By God's help, be committed. Why is that important? Let me tell you about a guy I once knew. 
went to school with him. We were on the same team together. We were on track team. We ran track together. And uh, it was in another town, another place. And uh, we, had a, we had a pretty good team. We were good. I wasn't very good, but I was committed to it. I wanted to get better, but it was my first year running, and I didn't really know what I was doing. But, um, but uh, we had a great team. We had a great coach. And, uh, and we, were, we had hopes and ambitions of making it to the state championship. And, and there's a, a level of, I don't want to say a, a bad kind of pride, but just we, we wanted to do well, right? We wanted to accomplish our goals. And then we are at this track meet at home, at home. So all of our fans are there. And this particular guy, he, he, he ran hurdles. So he jumped, jumped hurdles, ran hurdles. Ran and jumped, however you say that. I don't know. I can't jump, never could, never will, so I stay away from the hurdles, anything that involves jumping. Um, and so they line up, and, and he's got our uniform on. He's got our colors. He's got the name of our school on it, who he is representing. And they said, runners to your mark, set, pow. And he takes off, and he gets to the first hurdle and kind of stumbles over it. It's okay. Maybe he was new at it and he was trying his best, but he's just going to struggle. But y'all, you got to stop somewhere. Start somewhere. He, he gets over that hurdle. He gets to the next one and he kind of stumbles over it. It's like, maybe he's hurt. Maybe he's injured. And then he gets to the next one and he just kind of walks up to it. He just kind of pushes it over and Steps over it. And he wasn't limping. I knew he wasn't injured. He hadn't fallen since I had last seen him. And he went the whole 100 meters or 110 meters, 110 hurdles, I think is what it is, 110 meters. And he just walked up to each hurdle and he just kind of pushed it over, stepped over it, and then kind of jogged to the next one like this. And he pushed it over. You know what I wanted to do? I wanted to go rip the jersey off of him and say, get off of the team because you're making us all look bad. We're representing our school. You're making our coach look bad. We're representing our, 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 our coach. And you don't care. He wasn't hurt. He wasn't just trying his best but wasn't good at it. He didn't care. He didn't care. He was not committed. To doing his best. You know what? If his best was running up and tripping over every hurdle, but he gave his all, so be it. There's room for improvement, but he gave his all. But you know what burned me up? Is that he was willing to walk out on that track, wearing our colors, and then not give a rip about what he was out there to do. I just wonder sometimes what God sees when He looks at me. I wonder, if, I wonder if there's sometimes where He just... I hate to speak for God, but just wonder if there's sometimes where He says, man, if you're, gonna, if you're not going to be committed to the body of Christ, take off the team colors and stop calling yourself a Christian. Because you're making... The bride of Christ looked bad. You're making the gospel of Jesus look bad. And you're making me look 
be committed. Those of you who are committed, thank you. Lord. We have so many committed members at this church and I praise God for that. That we can all grow including myself in our commitment to this church. How do you need to grow? How do you? How is God today calling you to grow in your commitment to the church? Maybe you need to be saved and that's step number one. Maybe you need to join a church. That's step number two. Maybe you just need to look as a member of this church at your life and say, here's some areas where I could be more committed. For the glory of God. For the sake of the gospel. Be obedient. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for first loving us. Thank you for the gift of the church. Help me take seriously what it means to belong to the church. Father, forgive me of of the times where I don't take it seriously. When I'm not committed. Father, forgive us for the times when we don't take it seriously and we're not committed. Father, let this passage not get us down. And leave us down. But Father help this passage. As we consider the glory of what Jesus has done on the cross. Convict us of areas where we're failing in our commitment to you and to the church. And then pick us back up. In the hope of the gospel. Get us back on our feet. And get us serving. In the church. For the glory. Of you. And you alone. Father, help us to be obedient to you and your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.